0: Africa, rise and shine. Africa, zulka. Africa, amuka na una.
1: Good morning and warm, a very warm welcome to Africa Rise and Shine. This is Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance, coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. We're on the frequency 6145 kHz on the 41-metre band to southern Africa and on 15255 kHz on the 19-metre band to far west Africa. I'm Lulu Gabu in studio with Ann Moussa, Tabitha Lohoko and Figli Lingwati. In our top stories at this hour... Nigerians await presidential election results, and experts express concern over illegal trade in wildlife. In economics, Zambia and Zimbabwe to build new power stations, and in sports news, South Africa's Bafana Bafana share the spoils with Nigeria again. With first up the news with Ann Musa.
2: A very good morning to you. Thousands of supporters of Nigeria's main opposition party have held a protest against alleged voting irregularities in the country's general elections, calling for the elections to be reheld. The demonstration organized by the opposition All Progressive Congress Party took place yesterday in the Southern River State Capitol, Port Harcourt. Protesters also voiced anger over the alleged killings of opposition campaign workers. Meanwhile, United Nations Secretary General Ban Ki-moon has congratulated the people and government of Nigeria on the largely peaceful and orderly conduct of presidential and parliamentary elections. Ban has ever condemned the attacks reportedly carried out by the terrorist group Boko Haram in an attempt to disrupt the polling last week. Nigerian President Goodluck Jonathan and his main challenger Muhammadu Buhari were reported to have signed an agreement to end violence during the elections. Peace talks to end the crisis in Libya have gone beyond what had been expected. That's according to the top United Nations envoy Bernardino Leon, who is speaking in Morocco, where Libyan parties have been negotiating to find a political solution to the ongoing conflict in their country. The North African country has been murdered in factional fighting since Muammar Gaddafi was overthrown nearly four years ago. Tanzania's president, Jakaya Kikwete, says tensions between Muslims and Christians were rising ahead ahead of a constitutional referendum and elections. He warned religious leaders against political meddling, saying this could stoke violence. Kikwete addressed religious leaders yesterday on the referendum slated for April 30th and presidential and parliamentary elections set for October. The West African countries hit hard by Ebola are ramping up efforts to eradicate the deadly disease. They are using lockdowns, restrictions on burials and a warning to survivors about the potential dangers of unprotected sex. The region's Ebola outbreak has killed more than 10,000 people since cases were first recorded more than a year ago. Most of the deaths have been recorded in Guinea, Sierra Leone and Liberia. And that's the news headlines at 8.30 Central African time.
0: Africa, rise and shine. Africa, zola. Africa, amuka na na.
1: Thank you, Anne. It's 8.05 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa on this Monday, March the 30th, the 89th day of 2015, with 276 days left in the year. In our top story, Nigerians cast their vote on the second day of parliamentary elections in about 300 of the country's 150,000 poll. Police stations. Polling stations. Voting was extended for a day on Sunday after the Electoral Commission admitted that the new voting equipment failed to confirm voters' identities. Despite calls for a peaceful election, attacks across Nigeria continued. At least 41 people were killed in the northeast of Nigeria. And for an update from Nigeria, we spoke to our correspondent in Lagos, Sarah Kimani.
3: What we know for sure is that even in areas that are controlled by Boko Haram, uh, a lot of people came out in defiance of warnings before by Boko Haram and they were able to cast their ballots. Uh, that exercise went on until uh, late yesterday. And what will be happening today is what they call the collation of results. The electoral commission here is saying that that process might take the whole of Monday before we can actually know who the winner is. The incumbent uh,
1: president, Goodluck Jonathan, he took some time when he cast his his ballot, which was about 20 minutes or more, at the polling station. Can you tell us exactly what happened inside?
3: Across the country, there there has been a problem with the vote card reading machines. This is a new uh, system that was introduced to be able to cover. Fraud in in the country because elections have previously been linked to double voting, double registration, uh, ballot stuffing, and all that. And so, what they did is they introduced something they call smart card readers. It, uh, Uh, verifies the card to indicate that the photo on the card is indeed uh, that of the voter. And they also take fingerprints again to verify that indeed that is the person. And so for Jonathan, he tried three times uh, with three different machines. And when none of them could pick out his details, he was forced to use the uh, manual register. But it's not only him. A lot of people in the country actually followed the problem having their details picked out by the vote card readers and that is why the manual registers were turned to and that's why actually uh, the the polls were extended for a day.
1: Now you mentioned earlier the fact that uh, collection of the ballots today will take probably the whole day today. Now, when should we expect the vote counting to to begin, and uh, you know the the trickling of results, which normally happens a day later or two?
3: Vote counting has uh, finished; is is over in almost all polling stations because what happens is the ballots are counted immediately after. Uh, elections is over and they're counted at the point where voting took place. So that is done. What they're doing today is taking the results to the headquarters of the various states. Uh, for example, last night they started bringing in the results for Lagos State, where we are, and uh, that should continue the whole day today. Initially, they had said the uh, results would be out by Monday, but they also said uh, 48 hours after elections is complete, so counting that elections ended yesterday. The earliest maybe we can expect to see a picture of how people voted is on Tuesday. Former Malawian President Bakili Muluzi
1: has described the people of Nigeria as calm and patient. Is there a difference in the way they are looking at this election?
3: A lot of people came out, millions and millions of people. And probably the reason why he's saying they were calm and patient is because they stood in lines even when these machines failed. Some people stood in the rain up to 9 p.m. waiting to begin voting on Saturday. So probably the reason why he says that they will come. But of course, there have been pockets of impatient people uh, burning polling stations or polling units, some burning uh, Electoral Commission offices. But they said this is a decisive election for them. They have said they want to see change. And a lot of them we spoke to are determined to see that a new leadership comes into power.
1: Now, Sarah, would these elections be uh, classified as free and fair? What is the response from the observer
3: missions that are in Nigeria currently? Echo as the regional bloc has already uh, declared the elections free and fair at a press conference yesterday, uh, but we haven't had any other people giving preliminary reports. So. Uh, conclusive. Others have just uh, given up to the level where the voting took place. I think uh, it would be fair to say the only time we can know if indeed the election was free and fair is after the results are out and the collation is over, because the results are taken manually to the state coalition centers and that is when you can know if they were tampered with in between the polling unit and the offices of the uh, electoral commission so until then it would be uh, not right to say they were free and fair until that process is over.
1: And that was our correspondent in Nigeria Sarah Kimani joining us online from Lagos. It's 8.09 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. African countries will now have the profiles of their countries documented and updated often. The Economic Commission of Africa in Ethiopia's capital, Addis Ababa, says that this is the only way that Africa can tell its own
4: narrative with data that it owns. Koleta Wanjohi has the report. The Economic Commission for Africa, based in Ethiopia's capital, Addis Ababa, has officially launched the documentation of country profiles in Africa. This means that the ECA will be doing frequent collection of different statistics about African countries, documenting and regularly updating them according to each country. The data will be for all sectors of every country in Africa this is the first time that africa will have such a system the deputy executive secretary of the united nations economic commission for africa abdallah hamdok says that this is the only way that africa will have its own updated status and be able to tell its own narrative
5: this ECA country profile would be assisting member states to take control of their own narrative it will also place them in a better position to take evidence-based decisions which would ultimately facilitate the achievement of goals of economic transformation and development embedded in Agenda
6: 2063.
4: The launch of country profiles is part of the data revolution that the continent is looking at. Currently, there are country profiles produced by different organizations on different countries, but these are specific only to their needs of research. For instance, the World Bank may release country profiles dependent on the specific research they are doing. These new profiles will have everything about the country at all times. Karima Bonmera Ben-Sultan, the director of the Economic Commission for Africa, the North Africa Office, says that the proposal of the commission was to have these profiles updated every three to four months, but this is subject to discussion by African member states. We
7: expect actually to work on uh, assisting the countries in uh, the collection and harmonization of the country, uh, the, 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 the data at the country level. We expect also our uh, country profiles to be produced on a regular basis and the regular is still to be, uh, yet to be defined. We have set an ambitious goal of uh, every three, four months, but uh, with you, you will tell us whether this is realistic and uh, what would be expected from regular country profiles. And as I said earlier in the introduction, we really uh, consider it as a contribution to uh, the African uh, data revolution, meaning that it is not only um, a static production of pictures of the countries but really an element of analysis and a development of analysis that will be done in interaction with the member states.
4: For now, the Economic Commission of Africa has produced five country profiles for Botswana, Kenya, Cameroon, Nigeria and Morocco. These have been produced already just as a sample of what other country profiles will look like for Channel Africa Radio in Ethiopia's capital Addis Ababa. A report from Kenya shows that residents
1: of 25 of the country's 47 regions have been infested with jiggers. The Chiguo flea or jigger is a parasitic arthropod found in most tropical and subtropical climates. Researchers say low levels of hygiene and sanitation is one of the major causes of the infestation. James Shimanyula spent time with one-time Jigga sufferer and highlights the story of those who have been infested for many years. Rather, we will come back to the Jigga story. Meanwhile, Coletta Wanjohi spoke to Dr. Sipa Moyo, the director of South African-based organization called One Africa. Moyo expressed what the civil society organizations expect from the ongoing continental economic meetings.
8: What we think is really important is to have some kind of a deal for lack of a better word. Uh, And by that, it's by deal, what we're looking at is a 50-50 deal. And here's what the 50-50 is all about, that the ODA countries, the the developed countries will spend 50% of their official development assistance in the least developed countries because it is in those least developed countries that the woman who dies in childbirth, you know, is more likely to be found where the girl child is not going to school and really where uh, the challenges uh, of extreme poverty are faced, whether you're talking about malaria, you know, and so on. So 50% of ODA must go to the least developed countries because that's where the big challenge is and that's where the progress needs to be made. And then, uh, as far as the African countries or the developed developing countries, what we're saying is they need, in terms of domestic resource mobilization, they need to be able to close the tax gap by 50% by the year 2020. So that's sort of the deal. And then also have in place, uh, you know, a, a social spending uh, threshold, which is roughly between 300 and $500 per person
4: then one other issue that has stood up in this whole discussion that are going on is the issue of lack of uh, country profiles of lack or lack of data from different countries that can enable governments to make decisions one africa generally works with communities at different levels how easy or how hard it is is it for do you think for for communities to get what they want yes. because of lack of data
8: you know you've asked a really important question and it is almost the heart of the matter when we're talking about the new development agenda and it is important in ensuring effective delivery of the sdgs that actually there is a monitoring uh, mechanism that's built into it and however You cannot monitor the goals if you do not have the data. And this is where the question of the data revolution comes in. Uh, And it it is almost the heart of the matter. We must have a data revolution uh, because that is what will equip people to follow the money uh, in all sectors, follow the money from the natural resources to the results that we're talking about. You know, the human impact, uh, the social impact, you know, the economic impact. Secondly, the data revolution is also critical to help governments plan. So it's not just about the citizens being able to monitor uh, the leadership and the governments, but it's also for our governments to be able to plan better. And unless they have reliable data, uh, they're not able to plan. You know, so it's really sort of a you know it's a two-way street. It works both ways. In addition, uh transparency will enable policy change uh, and incentivize behaviour.
4: Um, heads, of, former heads of state have been included in terms of advising Africa on, on the way forward as far as issues of financing is concerned. Mm-hmm. You're privileged to be one of the people who have, I mean, one of the organizations that are stakeholders to the closed-door meeting. Mm-hmm. Do you think the former heads of state have a role to play, considering that they had their time in office, but now they're coming back again? Do they have a role to play in this continent? You you, you
8: cannot know. You, If you don't know where you're coming from, uh you cannot know where you're going or you can't find your way to where you're going so i think there's a lot that we can learn from them and because really they have become sort of independent statesmen uh you know uh, you know their time their con- they've made their contributions they've been forgiven if they needed to be forgiven um and really now they are revered as elder statesmen treated with a lot of uh, sort of respect And it would be such a waste of a resource not to leverage uh, that experience and that wisdom and that, uh, uh, you know, and that institutional memory, which they really, you know, collectively
0: possess. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorba. Africa, amuka na unai.
1: It's 818 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. Now back to the Jiggers report, a report from Kenya shows that residents of 25 of the country's 47 regions have been infested with jiggers. The Chigwe fly or jigger is a parasitic arthropod found in most tropical and subtropical climates. Researchers say low levels of hygiene and sanitation is one of the, re- one of the major causes of the infestation. James Shimagnula spent time with a one-time jigger sufferer and highlights the story of those who have been infested for many years.
0: Fifty-one years since Kenya gained independence from Britain, 10 million of its 40 million people are at risk of infestation by jiggers. Already more than two million others are day in day out writhing in agony due to infestation caused by a tiny pinhead-sized flea that feeds on human blood. Luckily for the Jiga sufferers, Dr. Stanley Maina Kamau, an anti jiga crusader in his late 40s, has come to their rescue. Doubling as an activist, Dr. Kamau takes us back to the early 1970s when he was infested by jiggers. I had
9: jiggers when I was about 10 years old, and at one point I actually almost dropped out of school because other young boys would laugh at me, they would harass me, they would be able to step on me, they would use abusive language, nicknames. And I know so many other boys were in the same class who also had jiggers and they had to drop out. So after I was able to go back to school and I finished, I went to the high school, I went to the university. And then when I finished the university, I was able to start my own business. And in the year 2000, I decided that I must start giving back to the community. It was in the process of giving back to the community in the year 2007 that I came across some children who are heavily infested by jiggers. I thought that uh, it's not something that should be happening 21st century, 51 years after independence, we are still having these issues of jiggers in this republic.
0: As a grown up with the jiggers no more in parts of his body, Dr. Stanley Maina decided that time had come for him to visit families infested by jiggers.
9: When I went to visit three families, it grew, it went to the whole village, it went to the district. It went to the whole country and it spread to both Uganda and Tanzania. And we've been having people even from other African countries calling on us to go and support
0: them. Apart from Dr. Stanley Maina Kamau being an anti-jiga crusader, he's also an activist. Dr. Kamau tells us how he and other Kenyan activists have been fighting hard to ensure that the government introduces a policy on Jiga sufferers
9: we have been able to work especially pushing the government to give us a policy there was no policy on jiga infestation in this country as a human rights activist i did not go throwing stones demonstrating on the streets using abusive language to the government what i did is that i actually took the government to where the problem is addressed the problem from its roots, got to do my work as a civil society group, complementing the work of other groups. And the government was able to see after eight years, I was able to mobilize people and we talked about the problem of jigger infestation in this country day in, day out. We did not, as I said, use any abusive language. I realized that if we went to the streets to talk about the issue of jiggers, the government could have been annoyed with us and they could not have listened to us because most civil society grouping. the mistake they are doing is that they address the issue of poverty especially and other basic rights affecting people from the grassroots and they bring those kind of issues to the boardrooms and they also, they take those issues to major towns like Nairobi, where, even if the member of parliament does not come from a particular region, they wouldn't know that a problem existed. That's why you see the government does not take the civil society
0: group seriously. Describing Jiga infestation as number one human rights abuser and its stigma to suffer, as Dr. Stanley Minor Kamau said.
9: You know, Jiga is one of the major human rights abuser. We have people in this country who, in the year 2007, were not able to vote. That means their rights to participate in democratic process was violated by these menis called the Jiga
0: explaining how the jiga infested people's rights are violated dr stanley minea had this to say
9: these people cannot be able to walk to the polling stations even if they were to go to the polling stations they cannot be able to stand for long because their legs are fully damaged by jiggers then more importantly those people cannot be able to use their thumbprints not forgetting the stigma that comes with Jiga infestation.
0: Dr. Stanley Maina Kamau pointed out that although Jiga sufferers are counted as Kenyans, they don't possess identity cards to prove that indeed they are Kenyans.
9: Some of them have never even been able to pick an ID card that you need to register as a voter. They do not need the ID card because they have no income, there's nowhere they go, they don't do driving, they don't have bank accounts, so they would not at in one point need an ID card. So Jiga has caused a disability in a way that Kenyans are not able to participate
0: fully in the democratic process. That was Kenya's only anti-Jiga crusader and one of the East African Nations activists Dr. Stanley Maina Kamau. Reporting for Channel Africa, this is James Shemanyula.
1: Going back in time to today in 1966, the National Party under Dr. H.F. Verwoerd, claimed majority of votes in the parliamentary general election in South Africa. Let's listen to
5: Dr. Verwoerd. Above all, I wish to express sincere appreciation to those who were co-responsible for the remarkable support the government and its policies received during the recent election. First on the list are, of course, all those voters and with them the organisers and the large number of voluntary helpers throughout South Africa who in so many ways were responsible for this splendid success. I naturally do not wish to use this opportunity to deal with the defeat of the opposition. This would be quite useless. Furthermore, it is always in the interest of South Africa rather to look forward. I wish to state, however, in order to avoid future misunderstanding that despite some attempts to minimize the support of English-speaking voters I'm quite convinced that such support has been given all over the country to the government
1: and that was today in history in 1966 former Prime Minister of South Africa Dr. Hendrik Verwut speaking there in parliament Nelson Mandela's service to South Africa was continuous and infectious, even when he was not physically able to serve anymore. This is according to the country's former finance minister, Trevor Manuel. Manuel was speaking at the launch of the Nelson Mandela International Day 2015 activities at the offices of the Nelson Mandela Foundation in Johannesburg. For more on this, Tutungobeni spoke to Silo Hatang, CEO of the Nelson Mandela Foundation.
10: Former Minister Traum Manuel was actually here giving a keynote address on uh, launching the Mandela Day initiative where we're asking corporates to put in a lot of effort in terms of what the country and the world can achieve in terms of Mandela Day. So for us, this was the beginning of Mandela Day 2015, and we're urging all the corporates and individuals out there to get on board and get involved. One of the things that we announced also is that this year, in October, we will announce the winning activity by an individual, a corporate, or an organization, or community rather, where the winning activities will then receive monetary compensation or monetary award, which they can then pass on to the next beneficiary, so that Mandela Day can then keep going. We also announced that in the next couple of weeks, we will be launching a site where you can lodge your own pledge of what you're going to do and the feedback that will come out of that. So people will have to then visit mandeladay.com for them to get more information on that.
8: Since Mandela Day was launched six years ago, would you say that the corporates have responded positively to those call? Have you seen a lot of them taking their time to actually give back as per the Nelson Mandela Day call?
10: To be honest with you, the growth has been phenomenal. You will remember that in 2009, when we launched Mandela Day, it was just two cities that were involved. It was New York and uh, Johannesburg. And today we're talking about over 130 different cities that do something for Mandela Day. These are just cities uh, that we're highlighting, but there are many more events that happen in small towns where they mark Mandela Day. So through the help of the corporate community, we have actually seen a growth of Mandela Day to the extent that there are people who are now complaining that too much corporates are now taking over the movement. So in a way, we see that there has been growth of Mandela Day due to the participation of the corporates.
8: Mm -hmm. And tell us about the core message of uh, the Nelson Mandela International Day. What is the core message? What should people have in mind when they carry out their activities in line with Nelson Mandela Day?
10: Mandela Day 2015 rests on four pillars. It uh, rests on addressing issues relating to literacy and education because we have to improve the levels of education just not in South Africa but around the world. The second element is around housing and shelter. Last year we managed with the help of Habitat for Humanity, build sixty seven houses in the Western Cape. We're hoping to replicate that. The third element is on food security where we've been able to feed over four hundred thousand children or learners and this year we're hoping to make it six hundred and seventy thousand beneficiaries. The fourth element is on volunteerism and there we're saying to people you can do whatever you want to do as long as you can then mark mandela day in a meaningful way and to remind people that it's not just about do-gooding but we need to be living the message of social justice where we are just inequality from its core
8: and so far in terms of the corporates what have they pledged
10: some of the corporates for example vodacom has said that they will support the Kilimanjaro initiative where they will involve all their staff members to donate towards keeping girl children in school. This year we're hoping to help keep 270,000 girls in school. By year 2020, we're hoping that 2 million girls will be helped to stay in school. So we're hoping that people will help by participating in this initiative. And Vodacom has joined this initiative in a big way. We're also hoping that we will have the contribution, for example, of organizations such as MTN, which has helped us with bicycles for young people who travel from here to Durban, and along the way they make a difference. So Tiger Brands has also joined in terms of food security, Stop Hunger Now food security, and Pick and Pay. And then we have organizations that do a lot on libraries. These include FAA AXA, PPC, CNA, and Cotinon Foundation, GIA, APSA. So all these are the ones that look at the issue of education and literacy. And in shelter, we're working with Habitat for Humanity. And we're hoping that on volunteers, we would have a lot more people participating.
1: That was Silo Hadang Chief Executive Officer at the Nelson Mandela Foundation, on the line to Tutungubeni. Our headlines up next with Anne Musa.
2: A very good morning to you. Thousands of supporters of Nigeria's main opposition party have held protests against alleged vote irregularities in the country's general elections, calling for the elections to be reheld. Tunisians have held a mass rally against terrorism attended by tens of thousands of people, including some world leaders. And the West African countries hit hard by Ebola are ramping up efforts to eradicate the deadly disease. Those are the stories making headlines.
1: Thank you, Anne. The second illegal wildlife trade conference took place in Botswana, last week to assess the impact of current efforts by the global community to tackle the poaching crisis. The poaching of elephants, rhinos, tigers and other wildlife for illegal trade in their products is becoming even more sophisticated and dangerous london-based environmental investigation agency eia has for three decades been at the forefront of calls for transitional wildlife crime to be properly recognized and addressed for more on this khuse khodingake spoke to eia executive director mary rice who was one of the delegates at the conference
11: well we've seen a lot of follow-on meetings from the london conference which have reiterated commitments, and during the conference here in Kasani, one of the goals was for the countries to report back on things that they had implemented under the commitments made in the London conference. So we've seen a lot of report back on things that they have started to do or are doing or intend to do, but I think from our perspective, from the Environmental Investigation Agency's perspective, we need to see more tangible action. And so between now and the next one, we will be looking to see those actions implemented and the impact being sort of delivered and reported on at the next meeting. I think what was good for us as well was that the Honourable Minister Malewa attended this meeting, which was an encouraging sign because unfortunately South Africa wasn't unable to send high-level attendance to the London summit, but she came to this summit and presented, so it's good to have South Africa on side in the battle against legal wildlife trade.
12: Now, the aim of this very high-level Kasani meeting was to review the status of implementation of the actions agreed as part of the London Declaration. Now, do you think any of the recommendations that came out of the London Declaration have been implemented?
11: Um, Well, it's it's very difficult to say what the results of any of the actions implemented have made because some of them, you know, will take time to bed in. Um, You know, obviously some of the things that have been sort of a tangible change have been changes in legislation and making illegal wildlife crime a predicate offence in certain territories, Countries like Mozambique are changing their laws, have changed their laws. Kenya has changed its laws. So we're seeing things moving in the right direction. One of the things that we focused on during this conference as an organization was to try and identify some of the gaps. So, you know, there are a couple of areas that would sort of, they need better attention, they need more investment, they need more kind of proactive and engaged political will senior level.
12: Now but the thing is has there been greater international cooperation in the fight against wildlife crime you know such as the deployment of national task forces and transnational organized crime units you know international sharing of intelligence joint operations and generally treating the illegal wildlife trade as a very serious crime.
11: Well I think everyone has recognized it as a very serious crime some of those things that you have just highlighted obviously you know, involve sort of intelligence-led activities and they will be conducted at a certain level and across certain jurisdictions involving police, customs and wildlife, amongst others. I'm not sure that we've seen any clear results. Some of those things may have yielded positive outcomes, but they may not have yet reached the public domain. We hear a lot about arrests and seizures but we, we need to see more people actually being convicted, prosecuted and convicted, and the results of those successful enforcement outcomes need to be made public so that there is a clear message to the criminals, but there is also a way for the people who were part of the enforcement action that brought those people to justice can see that their efforts and the risks that they've taken have yielded a positive outcome.
12: Okay, now tell us how wildlife crime impacts, you know, on social development, on economic growth, and on the environment generally.
11: Well, illegal wildlife crime is like any other major international crime, drugs, firearms, people trafficking. It's underpinned by corruption, corruption from very low to a very high level, and as a result of that, it will in turn undermine the social fabric Of communities who are encouraged to engage in criminal activities because of the low risk high profit margins and in certain territories in Africa particularly countries are challenged by sort of external militia coming in and engaging as well so there is a national security issue there is a social fabric issue and there is a corruption issue
1: And that was Mary Rice, Executive Director of Environmental Investigating Agency, speaking to Jose Khodingake on the line from Kasane in Botswana. It's 8.38 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. The new Broadband communication Centre was launched at the Nelson Mandela Metropolitan University in South Africa's Eastern Cape Province. Professor Justin Jonas, director for the Square Kilometre Array in South Africa, says the centre will conduct pioneering research around optical fibre data transport for the Square Kilometre Array radio telescope.
13: Yes, so I was at the launch representing the SKA South Africa project and we were in a way responsible for the pairing up of Cisco with Nelson Mandela Metropolitan University. We'd identified the research group down there under Professor Gibbons as being a very valuable resource for us in the SKA because one of the big problems we have with the square kilometer array is to have to shift large amounts of data around between antennas and between researchers and we need to do that in the most efficient way and with the latest technologies. And Cisco have also recognized the NMMU Research Group as a valuable resource as well, the groundbreaking research they've been doing in fiber optics. And so Cisco, which is one of the largest switch manufacturers in the world in the Internet business, have donated a generous amount of equipment to the NMMU Research Unit, for them to continue their studies, and uh, quite a lot of the work that they will be doing is going to be directly relevant to what we require here at the SKA project.
14: Would this be the pioneering research around optical fibre data that will be transporting the SKA radio telescope?
13: Yes, that's it's the, the data from the telescopes back to the processing centre, and then also you know, from the processing centre out to the rest of the world as well.
14: Now, from the technical aspect, how would it be possible to get it right for the radio telescope to get the data that is wanted and extracting the desired information
13: from it? Well, we digitize the signals we get at the radio telescopes, and at a very high rate, the amount of data that each telescope produces is of the order of one DVD every second. So it's an enormous amount of data. It's uh, many gigabytes per second, and uh, so we can do that with current technology, but you know it's quite expensive and we would like to do that in a more efficient way. We need to be able to, to squeeze more signals onto a single fiber. We need to have the equipment to be as inexpensive as possible. But you know, we're not the only people who need this, and of course everybody uses the Internet, and anything that can increase the speed of the Internet and reduce the cost involved would be interested in the work that they're doing. So quite a lot of the work that's being done by the center is also for non-astronomy purposes and some very exciting projects that they're looking at to, in fact, providing optical fiber connections into everybody's houses in Africa to provide everybody with the opportunity of fast internet.
12: So
14: I'm looking forward to the discovery or the proof of existing theories with regards to the SKA.
13: Yes, this is all helping us in the work that we need to do to say that the nice thing about this work is that it's uh, applicable to you know to the wider public, um, the technologies, and not just ourselves.
14: And uh, the people who'll be working on this data, will they be trained as well for the particular? specific job that we're doing?
13: Yes, I mean, the, the centre is based at the university, so it, you know, it leads itself naturally to, to training applications, and you know, that's a big part of what the colleagues at NMU are doing, is providing us with engineers and technologists who are right at the front of, of this field, and able to do the development here in Africa, which I think is very important. We would like to see more of this sort of work being done in Africa, rather than Africa being the recipient The consumer of other people's knowledge
14: now looking at the radio telescope has it started already to deliver some images of galaxies
13: the cat 7 antennas that we have on site they are they've been working for a number of years now the meerkat antennas we are building at the moment and that that hasn't got to a stage yet where we've got any science data coming out but hopefully by the end of the year we will be getting that and yeah and then you know into the future we'll have the SKA being built
1: that was Professor Justin Jonas, Director of For the Square Kilometre Array in South Africa, speaking to Wandile Kalipa. Going back in time to today in 1933, James B.M. Herzog forms a National Coalition in South Africa and is joined by Jan C. Smarts. That was today in history in the year 1933. <music>
0: Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Africa, wake up. Africa, Africa, reveille toi. Africa, wake up. Africa, wima. Sun le soleil est levé. Weya y'a wima.
15: What's in the happen, Africa? Africa, Dumelang, Sanbonani Africa, Muli Shadi,
9: Africa,
15: Africa,
0: Ndinkim, Kinkunume What happen Africa?
15: It doesn't matter where you come from Lesotho, Kenya, Zambia, Ghana, Nigeria. Nigeria, Tanzania, Congo, Liberia, Togo, Ethiopia, DRC, South Africa, Swaziland, Morocco, Botswana, Gabon, Zimbabwe, Mauritania, Senegal, Sierra Leone, Liberia it, it doesn't matter, matter where, where you're from, you're from. We, we are one, one people, people channel africa channel africa the voice of the african renaissance this is dj cleo with g exploits
0: from nigeria channel africa the voice of the african renaissance
1: Africa has the fastest-growing cell phone market in the world. In South Africa, cell phones outnumber fixed lines by 8 to 1. Kenyans own more than 15 million handsets, while in Nigeria the cell phone has leapfrogged the PC as the easiest way to surf the net. SMS texts have been used to send Ebola warnings and raise awareness of HIV AIDS. Now our question to you today is, why is your cell phone so important to you? Give us your thoughts and your views on email at info at channelafrica.co.za or send us an SMS to 2782 or get a hold of us on Twitter at Rise Shine Africa or at Channel Africa One. Why is your cell phone so important to you? Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance.
0: Africa, rise and shine.
1: Our economics update up next with Tabi Solihuko.
16: South Africa's power utility Eskom Zola says he requested that his presentation be heard by the Power Utilities Board today because he wants South Africans to know the truth. Eskom's board members held a meeting last week in which they were expected to table a vote of no confidence in Zhu Now, the meeting was subsequently postponed today. to today. Uh, this followed Zhu announcement of the suspension of four Eskom executives, including CEO Tsidiso Matona. Zhu has stressed that he wants the truth to prevail.
5: I still maintain that it's not a personal vendetta. It is just that uh, these are things that uh, I would not have
13: expected for her to have done the way that the set utilities protocol operates is that the minister communicated with the chairman of the board as the shareholder representative at the utility. So all of that was not working and I found it quite odd that uh, she was not in touch with me in terms of the issues that had to do with, uh, with the work of the utility.
16: Trade Union, South Africa's National Union of Metal Workers, South Africa, says it remains optimistic that sanity will prevail over issues affecting ESCOM. The union's Secretary General Irvin Jim says ESCOM's decision to suspend four senior executives has been bad for the country. This followed Eskom's relegation to junk status by rating agencies. Jim says there's an urgent need to seek solutions to Eskom's situation.
8: We don't necessarily applaud rating agencies. They are the people behind the neoliberal agenda that we have in this country. But it is unthinkable that you could have a situation where the country is facing load shedding. We have a situation where the board can act recklessly in the manner in which they did. They appoint Mr. Tsotse to, to basically lead an inquiry, a person in our view who himself is supposed to be investigated if there is any investigation because all bad decisions that have been taken at ESCOM he was basically the captain of that particular ship
16: Zambia and Zimbabwe will start constructing the 1,600 megawatts of Batoka power stations in January next year. Two Batoka George Hydroelectric power stations with the capacity of 800 megawatts each will be constructed around 54 kilometers downstream from Victoria Falls, extending across the international boundary of the two countries. The Batoka Hydroelectric scheme will run up to 2021 or 2022. Kenya has shortlisted five candidates for the post of central bank governor and will interview them next month. The successful candidate will replace Njungu Nandungu, whose term ended earlier this month after eight years in office. Those invited for interviews are Jeffrey Mwawu, the economic secretary of the National Treasury, Penina Wanjira Kariyuk, and Edward Sambili, who was the deputy central governor. London Copper is trading steadily as last week's run-up in the prices of blunted consumer buying. Buying from top consumer China has been tepid, with an initial gorge of Chinese factory health in March suggesting industrial activity has not picked up pace. Volumes were thin ahead of a string of data, including an official gorge of China's March factory health and a U.S. jobs report that could impact on timing of the first hike in the interest rates, as well as Easter holidays across the globe. Recap in the top story this hour, or rather, your financial indicators. The US dollar trades at 1203 South African rand, 972 Botswana Pula, 753 in Zambia, 067 British pound, 91 across the euro, gold 1193 dollars, platinum 1131 dollars an ounce, brand crude oil 56 dollars, 02 cents a barrel. My name is Tabi Solohoku and I'm representing Channel Africa News.
1: A sports update up next with Figure Lingwati.
6: In our sports update this hour, starting off with football music, Bafana Bafana coach Ephraim Sheikhs Mashaba has started to play the tape of his two predecessors. Pito Musimani, and Gordon Egerson, the poor finishing that is costing the team. This followed Bafana's 1-0 draw against an understrength Nigerian team in an international friendly at Mbomela Stadium in Nelsprate yesterday. Ahmed Musa's top-class curling strike was cancelled out by Bongani Zungu's first goal in international football deep into injury time. But before that, Bafana had wasted several goal-scoring chances, including a missed penalty by Andy DeJali leading to Mashaba to decry the lack of composure in the final third.
0: In the entire three quarters of the game, we were on the driving seat. So I think the boys did very well. The only thing is to work on the finishing. We do create chances. I still say we do create chances. The only problem is finishing. But I think uh, it's going to be difficult. As I always said, in the national teams, you have only players for five days. And in the five days, they are not all there. You still have others coming who will arrive. And what? Our tactical work suffers
6: as the Nigerian national team assistant coach daniel debul amukachi has said before this game the result didn't really matter for them but getting to see his squad of newly selected players gel was more important
0: it's a game that i think probably but it ended up probably the way it should have gone uh, i'm more, not more concerned
9: with the, with the result of the game uh, like I told, you know, people, you know, you guys. Some of you guys yesterday. We have uh, about 98 or 99 percent of our players who are having their first and second and third cap. The most important thing is for us to see those players and see if they are, you know, well built enough or experienced enough to uh, to lead our football to the next
5: level.
6: And South African Premiership side Bidvest Wits Academy. That the striker Luvuyo Mkachana grabbed a late equaliser as the South African under-17 side came back to draw one-all with Mali at the Mbombela Stadium in Nelspruit, South Africa's Mpumalanga province. The South Africans fell behind the Seku Koita's 50th-minute strike, but Mkachana headed home in the 79th minute to earn a share of the spoils for Muli Finteki's men this was the third meeting of these two sides in a few weeks after they met twice at the 2015 african under-17 championships in Niger. on to rugby news the south african sevens rugby team has secured third place at the hong kong league of sevens world series the Blades beat samoa 26-5 in the playoff match the win means that the bleds retained top spot on the world series log and Bulls coach Franz Ludek says his team's 31-19 win over the Crusaders was undoubtedly the best performance of the season thus far, and that it was an 80-minute performance kept by good kicking from fly-half Andre Pollard.
5: Yeah, no, for sure, definitely an 80-minute performance. Um, I also thought, you know, we were patient when we were in the right areas, and we created momentum, and um, you know they felt under pressure, and Andre was accurate. And, skull kicking and that kept the scoreboard rolling the whole time and that also put pressure on them
6: finally with golf news south african golfer james camte says he's not concerned about making cuts but rather to win tournaments for the first time since 2010 camte made a lone cut in the six european course sanctioned events here's camte as he unpacks more about his sudden slump
0: you
10: know, uh, my concern right now is, is not about making cuts. It's win golf tournaments, right? And um, it's all about a preparation to get to another level. And and and, I, and, I, and I'm very very happy with, with my preparation. And it, it, it's good that I, I spoke to a couple of guys who've won before, like George Couture, um I had a with Tiger Woods yesterday. And 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 the last five events I've missed the cut. And then I said to myself, I need to get back to myself and and and, and get to a routine where I can go out there and, and complete properly.
6: That's your spot news this hour.
0: Africa rise and shine. Africa. Africa, America, now,
1: now. Recapping our top stories on Africa Rise and Shine at this hour, Nigerians await presidential election results and experts express concern over illegal trade in wildlife. That wraps up Africa Rise and Shine today. For myself, Lulu Gabu, producers Pumutu Ramagaza and Khomutu Pulane. Technical producer Mario Edwards and the rest of the team, thank you for joining us. For comments about the show, send us an email at info at channelafrica.co.za or tweet us at riseshineafrica. Taking us to the top of the hour for the news, on the frequency 9625 kHz on the 31-metre band to southern Africa is Salif Keta with a track title, Dekere.
15: Vai